Well, good morning and thank you for joining with us this morning here at Elgin Baptist Church. We are a group of people who desire to know Jesus better and to make Jesus better known. The Psalms are often referred to as the hymn book of the Old Testament. And in Psalm 103, we read these verses. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We're going to praise the Lord now in the singing of two songs. The first one is praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation, followed by the King in all his beauty. We're going to be led in prayer now uh, by Stephen Duff. Thank you, Stephen. Eternal Father, we thank you that we can gather around your word, that we can meet as your church family on this Sunday morning. And we just pray that we would grasp more of your wonderful love for us, that we would see more and more how good, how amazing, how astonishingly kind and magnificently compassionate you are, Lord Jesus. We thank you that we can come to the Father through the sacrifice of his son, King Jesus. We thank you that our King is not dead in the grave, but he is alive, he is risen and reigning. And so we give you all the praise and the glory, and we lift up our eyes to remember and to see that our King, King Jesus, is coming again, is returning. And we thank you that in these troubled times, in these days of darkness, you are the light that shines, you are the hope that is steadfast, and you are the one that is from everlasting to everlasting, faithful and sure, unchanging and completely dependable. We thank you, Jesus, that you meet us where we're at and that you take us and show us more and more of your glory. So we commit this time to you. We pray that you would bless and inspire Pastor Graham and that you just help us all to see more of your purpose and your plans for us and more and more of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, boys and girls, as I said to you last week, after six long months of no jam, Joyce and Emma have been really busy this past week preparing for next Saturday when we are going to once again meet together as jam to hear the stories of Jesus and, and to do some games and to do some crafts all with the necessary social, disting, social distancing requirements in place. I really hope, boys and girls, that you're able to come along and more information will be sent out this coming week. But for just now, we're going to sing what I know is one of your favourite choruses. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We continue our studies this morning in the book of First Thessalonians 
And this morning's reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through to verse 18. And they're going to be read this morning by Angela Duff. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Thank you, Angela. As we have been seeing in his letter to the church at Thessalonica, Paul tells them that he prays for them and then he goes on to tell them what it is that he prays for them. But you see, this was not just something that Paul did for, for the church at Thessalonica. We read in all of his letters of how he prays regularly for the churches. And in his letter to the church at Ephesus, he writes these words. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Before we look together at God's word, let us sing again about such love. How vast the love of Jesus. Lord, we do thank you for such love. For its width, for its length for its depth, for its vastness. And as we turn now to your word, we ask, Lord, for the help and for the enablement of the Holy Spirit to take this, your word, and speak it into our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It was Benjamin Franklin who rather famously, famously, when writing to a friend in Paris, wrote these words. Our new constitution is now established. Everything seems to promise it will be durable. But in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. Well, it seems that due to what is known as creative accounting, at least nowadays some taxes can be avoided. However, death is one of life's great levelers, in fact, only life's levelers. One out of one people will die. And in the verses that we read earlier, Paul is addressing the question of death. Or at least he is addressing the concern that these young Christians had about believers who had already died. 
as we have seen, they lived with the constant thought that Jesus could return at any time. And that at his perusal, his coming again, what would what is going to happen to, to those who had already died? Well, would they miss it? And, and what about those who were living? What, what will happen to them? And as we look at these verses this morning, friends, it is important that we grasp certain things that will keep us focused on the main point that Paul is seeking to get across. And that main point is one of encouraging these believers that whether dead or alive, when Christ comes, as surely he is coming, then they will all be with the Lord forever come that great momentous event. This is about a reunion to end all reunions. However, we must, as I said, keep several things in mind as we bring it in to our day and our age. As I said, Paul is dealing with primarily the fate of those believers who die before Christ returns. And what he does in these verses is he roots his teaching in what God has already done in Christ. You see, friends, this is not, as one writer says, optimistic speculation we're looking at this morning. This is a confident hope. He is seeking to encourage those who, as we looked at last week, were living for God to go on living for him. And he's not addressing and answering every question regarding end times. So with that in mind, let's look at what Paul says under four headings. He speaks of grieving. He speaks of returning. He speaks of a reuniting. And he finishes with a word of encouraging. Firstly, then grieving. Paul's aim here is pastoral. He is seeking to supply what is lacking in, in their understanding regarding these issues. You see, in the world of that time, death and hope kind of were just not bedfellows. Indeed, one of the early philosophers wrote these words. Hopes are for the living. The dead are without hope. And Paul does not want these young Christians to be ignorant about death. And notice that he uses the word here, who fall asleep. And it is important that we understand what Paul means by this. Paul is using here imagery language. Paul is not referring to, as some would say here, soul sleep. That false teaching that says believers are in some kind of, as it were, unconscious state from the point of their death till the coming of Christ. No, no. He tells us elsewhere that we are absent from the body, but we are present with the Lord. Paul elsewhere talks of longing to, to depart and to be with Christ. You see, death is only temporary. And just as sleep 
is followed by awakening, death will be followed by resurrection. It was uh, the prominent evangelist, D.L. Moody, who, who famously uh, said this. Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher. That's all. Out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. John Calvin commenting here on this verse says that the reference is not to the soul but to the body for the dead body rests in the tomb as on a bed until God raises it up again. It's important that we understand that. It's also important to see that Paul expects them and us to grieve when a loved one dies. John Stott says, however firm our Christian faith may be, the loss of a close relative or friend causes a profound emotional shock. And Don Carson comments, the Bible everywhere assumes that those who are bereaved will grieve and their grief is never belittled. Jesus, we are told, wept at the grave of Lazarus. Many of us have stood over the grave of a loved one and the tears have flowed and maybe still flow. But in the midst of the grief, Paul is reminding them and he's reminding us not to lose sight of the hope, the glorious hope that is ours in Christ. Living for God in the midst of loss is not an easy thing to do, but we do not grieve as others who have no hope. What is this hope? Well, he tells us in verse 14, and it is centered on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We believe that Jesus died and that he rose again. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What a hope. What a glorious hope is ours in Christ. And yes, we grieve. Of course we do. But not like those who have no hope. Grieving. Secondly, Paul speaks of returning. Verses 15 through to 17 speak of that one last 
great event in God's calendar, which is namely the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, which will usher in the end of time. Both those who have fallen asleep and those who are, al who are alive will not miss this great event. See what Paul says. He says, according to the Lord's own words. So, so this can be trusting. That this is what God says. Quite how he said it and when, when we can't be sure. But we know Jesus certainly spoke often of his coming again. And in verse 16, if you look closely, verse 16, we have given to us three as it were, signs that will accompany this return. We need to see what Paul is saying here. For he tells us that the Lord himself will come down from heaven. What a momentous event this will be. Jesus is coming again. Did, did you recall in Acts chapter 1, as Jesus was taken up to heaven, and, and as the disciples stood around gazing, looking up into the sky, they, they are told by two men who, who were dressed in white, this same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So be assured, friends, that Jesus is returning. And from what else we read in these verses, we see that it will not be some kind of quiet affair, some kind of secret coming that they're only for a few. How can that possibly be? No, there will be a loud command. There will be a trumpet call. It's hardly quiet. It's hardly secret. At his birth, though revealed from, from heaven by by the angels to the shepherds, what was was a relatively quiet affair. Not his return. No way. Loud command. A trumpet blast. In Old Testament times, the trumpet was used for all kinds of different events. Often they were used when anybody wanted, as it were, to assemble a crowd. I am reminded of one of my favourite old hymns. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. Oh friends, Jesus is returning. Get excited. But above all, get ready. So much more to be said here, but for now let's move on to our third point and what a point it is for in verse 17 Paul speaks of a reuniting one of the one of the earliest social media sites was one called Friends Reunited it was a huge hit at the time as, as people started looking for old school friends and, and they were able to kind of reconnect, albeit kind of digitally, which really actually is not connecting at all. But, but, but anyway, well, look at what Paul tells us here. And remember, he is addressing a, pastor, a pastoral problem, that problem concerning those who die before Jesus returns. And he says, the Lord will appear. He will appear out of heaven 
just as the disciples saw him go up to heaven. He will appear. The command will be given. The trumpet will sound. And the dead will rise first. And then those who are still living will be caught up, and notice, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That is, the resurrected dead and the saints still living will meet the descending Lord in the air. One writer points out that the air, the air was um, often viewed as a dwelling place, if you like, of demons. And that the fact that this reuniting, this triumphant meeting between Jesus and his followers the fact that it takes place in the air may indicate just how complete is the victory over sin and death. As I said earlier, it is important to see that in these verses, Paul's emphasis is not on sequence, not on detail, but rather on the outcome and the result. And here is the important thing, brothers and sisters. All believers in Jesus, all believers in Jesus, whether they be alive or whether they be dead, at the time of the perusal, at the time of his returning, will and get this be forever with the Lord. No one will miss out. And yes, I am aware of, of differing interpretations regarding timing and sequence, which, as I said, is not what Paul's main aim here is. And therefore, it seems to me to be unwise, to become dogmatic about a particular interpretation of this passage, or sadly, as some do, to make it a test of faith or fellowship. The Lord's return is not some kind of weapon to fight with it, it is a truth to rejoice in. Paul is painting here a glorious picture of a wonderful reunion of all believers, of every believer, whether sleeping or whether alive. And he is pointing to that time when we will all be forever with the Lord. I've already quoted one or two hymns already, but forgive me. Listen to the words of this great old hymn by Fanny Crosby. On that bright and golden morning, when the Son of Man shall come, and the radiance of his glory we shall see, when from every clime and nation he shall call his people home, what a gathering of the ransomed that will be. Oh, the King is surely coming, and the time is drawing nigh, when the blessed day of promise we shall see, then the changing in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and forever in his presence we shall be. And the chorus, as many of you know, and if I could sing in tune, I would right now belt it out. What a gathering, what a gathering, what a gathering of the ransomed in that summer land of love. What a gathering, what a gathering of the ransomed in that happy home above. Brothers and sisters, that is why Paul can tell them not to grieve as others with no hope. For the believer, goodbye is never final. Oh yes, the death of a loved one is sore. 
It hurts. It aches. At times the tears flow. We, we miss them so much. And, and sentiments that, that like, well, they never really leave us. They're just not true. They do leave us. That is why it hurts. But what a hope. What a blessed hope. As Christians we have. That one day. One blessed day, one glorious day, we will be reunited with them. And then together, forever, we will be with the Lord. That was the hope. That is the hope that I hold fast to. That is the hope that as I stood over the grave of my mum and then my dad and then my brother and as I stand over the grave of every believer that one day, one glorious day me and mum and dad and Brian and many other brothers and sisters will be reunited. What a hope. I, I can't finish this sermon this morning without challenging everyone lovingly, I trust, about your own mortality. The Bible clearly teaches that it is appointed unto man once to die. It's, it's an appointment. It's, it's one that you can't avoid. But you can prepare for it. And if you wish on that day and for every day forever afterwards to be with the Lord, then you need to do something about it now. You need to turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. You need to acknowledge him as Lord and as Saviour. And as Paul has been instructing the Thessalonians, you need to begin to live a life of purity and of holiness. And if you do, then on the authority of God's word, let me assure you that you also will be part of that gathering of the ransomed in that happy home above. It's little wonder, is it not, that Paul finishes with the call to encourage each other with these words. You see, death is horrible. But for the believer, it is but a doorway into life eternal with all that God has got in store for us. Let me finish with a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. who was speaking at a funeral service for four young girls killed 
by a racist bomb in Birmingham, Alabama in 1963. That funeral service, he said these words. I hope you can find some consolation from Christianity's affirmation that death is not the end. Death is not a period that ends the great sentence of life, but a comma that punctuates it to more to a more lofty significance. Death is not a blind alley that leads the human race into the state of nothingness, but an open door which leads to life eternal. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Lord, we thank you and we look forward to the certainty of your return. May each one of us, even this morning, ensure that we are ready for this great event by putting our trust and faith in you and knowing that one day we will indeed be part of that wonderful gathering of the ransomed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to finish our time this morning with two songs, uh, mainly because I couldn't choose between them. The first song may be a newer one to some of you, and it is called When Christ Our Life Appears. And the second, in its final verse, speaks of that time when with the ransomed in glory his face I at last shall see. So I'm going to first of all sing when Christ our life appears and then I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Well, can I thank you once again for joining with us this morning. If you would like to know more about what it means to be a Christian, and more about that glorious hope that we're thinking of, then please do get in contact with us. Details will appear on the screen. But once again, thank you for joining with us and may God richly bless you.